It's Monday, October 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Asit Sharma. Thanks for being here. Chris, thanks as always for having me. Excited to be with you today. We've got the latest in banking innovation. We've got Tesla's new high. We're going to start with the unraveling of last week's big deal. PayPal issued a statement saying the company is, quote, not pursuing an acquisition of Pinterest at this time. This is in response to reports last week that PayPal was preparing to spend up to $45 billion to buy Pinterest. The deal is now off, and shares are reacting accordingly, I would say. Uh, PayPal up about 5%, Pinterest down about 13%. Where, where do you want to start with this? Because we were talking right before we started recording here. There are, there are a bunch of different ways we, we could go, but where do you want to start? I want to start, Chris, with the idea that PayPal might have had an interest in Pinterest. Stock was initially down when the potential of a deal was announced, not announced, but leaked out last week. PayPal stock is up today. Shareholders are obviously relieved. I think I'm in the minority because I actually believe the deal would have had some potential. PayPal has very quietly added another layer to its stack. They started with payments and payments processing a few years ago. They added in financial services like uh, debit cards, direct deposit, buy now, pay later, of course. And of course, they have the the merchant services end, which focuses on helping merchants get the most out of their business. But they added on shopping tools and marketing tools. They've done this over the last few quarters. Now they've got things like Droplist, which is a technology that sends you an email if you like something online, but the price is too high. That technology lets you know when it might be time to buy. On the marketing tool side, they have what they call a deals engine to help merchants really try to find uh, customers and convert them in the shopping cart, especially Significant is this investment in Honey, the uh, e-couponing add-on for different browsers, which helps you find the best price or or the best coupon to get a deal. All this technology, which the company is still investing in, leads to a really powerful way to make sure that buyers are going to ultimately convert when they hit a site. Pinterest's website is sort of set up to benefit from this technology. It, it takes you from a, a page on the site all the, all the way through to the advertiser's uh, part where they are going to try to convert you. And I thought that PayPal was really well suited for this. So I saw some, some great potential. It doesn't make sense on a first glance, but when you start thinking about how the company wants to be sort of the super app, it begins to make more sense. Now, on Pinterest side, I know uh, this has been discussed a lot, and, and Chris, you've recently uh, talked about this last week. I think it's this is good for Pinterest shareholders because a PayPal acquisition would have taken their potential to grow out of the hands of public investors and, and the ability to, to reap rewards from that. But they are sort of at a crossroads, right? So, co-founder Evan Sharp uh, recently announced his departure from the company. Uh, and also, this last earnings report that we had from Pinterest showed some slowdown from a really great COVID pull. So, they, they too are, are here at this sort of liminal space where if you're a shareholder, you're happy maybe today that the deal isn't going to go through, but you're wondering, okay, what now? <laughs> when are we going to pick up some momentum, guys, and uh, for this stock price to, to reflect 
some business momentum. I, I like the way you framed it with Pinterest being at a crossroad, because I think you're absolutely right. And this is a business that early on, there were legitimate questions, particularly from the marketing industry, from people, you know, media directors who control advertising budgets. And they're looking at Pinterest saying, well, why would I spend money on this platform as opposed to other known quantities like, you know, radio, television, online, Facebook, Google, you know, all that sort of thing. Pinterest methodically answered those questions over the years. Um, but, you know, so the, they were at a crossroads, I would say, maybe five years ago in sort of trying to convince the marketing industry that this was a good place to spend their money. Um, and as you said, they're at another crossroads now. I think that Dan Schulman, who runs PayPal, has so much credibility in part because of the acquisitions he's made over the years. I think that's why PayPal shares only dropped to the degree that they, and they did drop last week. But I think if it was someone else, if there was a new CEO, it was not someone with Dan Schulman's track record, I think PayPal shares would have been down twice as much as they were. And I, as you said, this is, I think what we're seeing is, uh, at least when it comes to PayPal, some measure of relief. It's like, look, Dan, you've done such an amazing job for so many reasons, including the acquisitions. $45 billion is a lot of money. And yeah. we're, we're happy that you're not pursuing this acquisition at this time. Exactly. And now, Dan, if you bring us a $22 billion acquisition, we won't even blink. Right. <laughs> but right. but I, totally, I totally agree with you, Chris. And if uh, listeners are interested, uh, this is a great exercise. You can find this online on PayPal's Investor Relations website. Go back to their February 2021 investor presentation. There's a video where Dan Schulman lays out the vision for the next several years. It's a great half an hour, uh, well worth the time spent if you own shares. But the vision he lays out shows you that there are a number of companies PayPal could acquire on its way to becoming a super app. This may not be the last big uh, news of, of a potential acquisition that we hear. And you're, you're so right with uh, from investing in uh, Mercado Libre to buying so many small companies that really help that engine grow. I mentioned Honey is just one of those. They have a, a great, great track record of capital allocation. So I think investors would have given the company a pass, but relief is, is probably the flavor of the day to day. Last thing before we move on, shares of Pinterest as of right now, are about 12% lower than they were before reports of the deal. They spiked last week on reports of the deal. They haven't returned to where they were. They've gone lower. Do you look at Pinterest, even though they're at a crossroads, do you look at it now and think, you could do a lot worse if you're looking for an entry point? Sure. Pinterest has such a huge platform. It's got actually a much bigger global user base than PayPal does in terms of its customers. So I believe that Pinterest is starting to look really attractive here. They monetize their international users at a fraction of how they monetize North American users. There's a lot of white space for this company to grow. The road obviously is going to be a bit bumpy here. I think we'll still have some post-COVID effects in their next earnings report, but it's starting to look attractive for that reason. Now, by traditional valuation metrics, 
Does it still look pricey? Yes. But you're getting a discount here for a company that easily will be a vibrant platform business over the next three to five years. So it's worth considering it at these prices, in my opinion. Shares of Tesla are hitting a new all-time high this morning after the company raised prices on certain models, uh, certain versions, I should say, of the Model X and the Model S. Uh, separately, Hertz is reportedly going to pay $4.2 billion for 100,000 Tesla vehicles to add to the Hertz fleet. We always like to see pricing power with businesses, but it seems like the Hertz news is doing the heavy lifting on the stock today. I think it's another uh, angle into the demand for Tesla's vehicles that uh, such a big global rental car business sees this as a, a marquee vehicle to add to their lineup. So yeah, I think that's pushing stock price today. But I do think the price raise of, of these models is something that investors are really mulling over. So we've got um, the Model 3 and the Model Y. Both are being priced upwards of $2,000 more. So when you take that into context of a $44,000 price tag and a $57,000 price tag, respectively, it's not a lot. Um, but it's plenty of margin, more margin for Tesla. And as you mentioned, the Model S and the Model X, which are higher end vehicles, they're each going up about 5%. Uh, what this means to me is that we are still seeing component shortages and supply issues with Tesla. So they are taking a bit of opportunistic advantage here of the fact that there's a bunch of demand, there's this rising tide of demand, and their supply is limited. Um, now, we saw them rewrite some software code on their chips and be, and be able to adapt last quarter, which was great. But the, the thing that stands out to me, Chris, is that they had a higher profitability level on their operating margin, even as they were selling lower priced vehicles. So their business mix tilted towards their lower end models their operating margin climbed. So lower selling prices, but higher operating margins. And as they mentioned in their shareholder letter, that means that they cut cost at a faster rate than the selling mix shifted. This shows you the power of Tesla's manufacturing operations. I'm neither a Tesla bull nor a Tesla bear, but I can certainly see the, the writing on the wall that those who have forever said Tesla doesn't know how to manufacture models at scale and they're going to suffer when they have to compete against the big auto giants as they grow. That really hasn't materialized. In fact, they're showing they're more efficient in many respects than their bigger peers. And yeah, that pricing power is, is very powerful. I mean, this quarter alone, they generated um, free cash flow of $1.3 billion. So um, I, I think this says so many things, but most of all, it is a testament to the company's manufacturing prowess. Wells Fargo is developing a virtual assistant to help it convert more retail banking customers into digital users. The app is being designed to help with paying bills, sending money, offering budgeting advice, and all of that is fine. But as far as I'm concerned, the most intriguing part of this app being developed by Wells Fargo is that the name on the app of this virtual assistant is Fargo. You and I are, um, uh, in addition to being investors, we are also movie fans. We both had the same thought, which is the movie Fargo. Like, <laughs> it, like, it, it, is this a mistake 
that Wells Fargo is making, or is this a golden opportunity that has fallen into their lap? I'm going to give this a thumbs down on, on the movie <laughs> scale, Chris. I mean, this is a company that has had so many inflicted PR wounds over the last several years. Now, here you've got a marketing opportunity. You have a new technology that you can market to the investment community and to customers. And you name it of all things Fargo, why not simply Wells? <laughs> why not name the virtual assistant Wells? Uh, I think Fargo has great connotations for some people, but this was a pretty macabre film, wasn't it, Chris? The, the famous uh, Ethan Brothers, uh, uh, Coen Brothers film, Joel and Ethan Coen. I mean, this is not a, a walk in the park. This is a, a very um, bloody <laughs> crime movie. Yeah, the, the wood chipper scene at the end. I think for anyone who's seen the movie Fargo, that's that's going to stick in your brain for the rest of your life. Spoiler but, alert. <laughs> but uh, but on the but on the flip side, the whole concept of quote unquote Midwest nice. You think about Frances McDormand as Marge, the sheriff, who's just she's just so nice throughout the whole film. And uh, Bill Macy. I don't know. I I think there's at a minimum, Wells Fargo needs to consider throwing some money at those two, uh, just to do some sort of promotion. Maybe they do a little bit of voice work for the app or a commercial or something like that um, with that phenomenal Minnesota accent. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe like any accent, the Minnesota accent gets tiring over time. I have no idea, but I, I'd like to speak this into existence. I would like Wells Fargo to at least do some sort of guerrilla marketing campaign with Francis McDormand and William H. Macy. If they do that, Chris, I will definitely change my opinion and, and give this, on second viewing, a thumbs up. And, and you're right, that Minnesota accent, very deadpan, so trustworthy, correct? And so, from that perspective, if the virtual assistant ever has an audible voice, a voice you can listen to, if they go with that and have some of these promos, maybe throw in Steve Buscemi in, in, in that <laughs> cast, I think, yeah, okay, I get this. But with Wells Fargo's recent history of, of de basically defrauding customers, one wonders if you're going to end up in the wood chipper <laughs> if you use their services. Metaphorically I, speaking, of <laughs> Metaphorically course. speaking. So, we will see uh, how they actually market this. Uh, I'm not that impressed at first glance. Uh, last thing before I let you go, it's Halloween week. Um, as we do every year, I need your overrated and underrated Halloween candies. All right. So, overrated, and I apologize to purists who know the long history of this candy and how it represents our harvest season and how it is embedded in our agricultural roots going back to the 19th century. But I hate candy corn. Oh, my God. Chris. So, for those of you who haven't seen Candy Corn, there may be a few listeners today, or maybe you've recently moved to the U.S. This is a small candy. It's sort of pyramid-shaped. It's tricolored, representing the colors of the harvest. But it's got this saccharine, mealy texture, which is sort of brittle when you bite into it. I've never been able to get used to this taste. Maybe as a kid, I liked it on, on a first try, but apparently... Brock's and other candy manufacturers sell billions of pieces of candy corn in just a few months during the Halloween season. It is ubiquitous 
on the Halloween scene, but I hate it. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get a ton of pushback on this one. I mean, there are always some some people. And look, if if uh, if history is any guide, uh, the dozens of listeners get very fired up about their candy choices. So already, I mean. Uh, Ron Gross has gotten a lot of blowback for his uh, comments about Kit Kat, but he's also got some people rallying to his cause as well. Um, what are you going for underrated? So underrated, I like any major candy bar in the miniature wrapper that you get. It's about the size of your thumb. So you get maybe a quarter of a traditional candy bar. My go-tos are Three Musketeers, Snickers bar, Milky Way. Chris, I might have purchased one candy bar in the last five years in the grocery aisles while I'm checking out. Um, let's not include Hershey's candy bar, their chocolate bar, because I associate that with making s'mores. So sure, yeah. bought some of those. But as far as buying it like a baby Ruth, maybe one in the last five years. But every Halloween without fail, while we're waiting for kids to come to the house, I'll start munching, reflecting on my week, my life, I probably steal three to five of those before the kids even come. And if there are any left over, I will nosh on those uh, for a couple of days afterwards. So I think this is a, a great snack. It's a feel good, pick me up, guilt free way to participate in Halloween. And I, I think it's underrated. I think more people should offer these. And kids in, in my neighborhood, I'll have plenty this year. Don't worry. I'm, this year I'm buying for you guys and for me. So that's a contrarian stance because there are um, definitely people who despise the notion of the quote unquote fun size bars and just push back on that. But I, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't remember the last time I bought and, bought and consumed an entire candy bar. Uh, but, you know, the mini ones, the fun size, yeah, that, I'll, I'll go to town on those like an animal. Right. And, and just, you know, a last word for those who don't like the fun size. Remember, they're usually sold in a bag. So you can <laughs> treat yourself, spill that bag on your kitchen table, sit there with, with your favorite music on, a glass of soda water, and start unwrapping one by one. Don't let that stop you. Awesome, <laughs> Chara. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. It's a blast. As always, people in the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.